Gina Della from Pella through June 30th at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 40% off installation or six-year no-interest financing. Get details now at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Hey, a quick programming note. Fans are back at American Family Field tomorrow. Brewers fans are going to fill it to the rafters. It's reopening day on News Radio WTMJ. Join us all day for live coverage from the ballpark. Here's the way it's going to start. Um, Steve Scafidi is off, so I'm going to be doing the 8.30 to noon shift. I will be out in the big talking box, our mobile broadcast facility, from 8.30 until noon. John McCure is then going to be there from noon until 2.30. And then don't miss Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre, calling the Brewers and the Rockies at 2.35. It's reopening day, sponsored by Outdoor Living Unlimited, Gruber Law Offices, and Holiday Automotive. Now, here's the other cool thing. We'll, we'll be doing a lot of elements of radio programming, at least during my portion of the reopening day broadcast but also it wouldn't be reopening day without a chance to get some interviews and we have a number of players that are scheduled to make appearances and uh, including uh, and these aren't just any players i I got brandon woodruff scheduled to come on colton wong is scheduled to come on uh brent Suter is scheduled to come on a cast of thousands and that's just during my portion of the broadcast so be sure to check it out Brewers reopening day. I understand there's still a, at least a few tickets are remaining, so you've got a chance to scoop those up as well. It is going to be just a lot of fun. What isn't a lot of fun is the story I just want to start off with, and I, I don't, I don't have any special insight into it, other than it is unbelievable to me that you can have a high end condominium building collapse and that is precisely what happened last night in well it's surfside florida but it's just north of miami beach you know in another life i used to spend a lot of time in the the south florida area miami and fort lauderdale and things like that and so if if i could describe the area that the surfside is just a, a small town just to the north of miami beach and just to the south of bal harbor which is a very high-end area the all along the atlantic ocean down there there are various high-rise condominiums um think think prospect avenue in milwaukee um but but on steroids because you know if you drive down prospect avenue you'll see a, a number of high-rise condos all to take advantage of, of views of, of the lake well that that's kind of how it is except you know in in florida you, you've got these high-rises that are right on the beach this particular condo building that that had the the partial collapse built in 1981 so it it's not like it's, I mean, it's a 40 year old building, but there's a lot of buildings that are 40 years old. 12 stories, 130 units. So it's, it's big. 12 stories, 130 units. What, uh, and it's, well, there, there weren't that many units that were for sale, but the ones that were for sale started around $630,000. There, there were some that, like the penthouse suites, go for like two million or something like that. So it's 
Again, it's a high-end sort of building. It's not the type of building that you would expect to collapse. And the, the weird thing is buildings don't collapse in the United States. Um, everybody says the building was in okay shape. Uh, it's 40 years old, and apparently in Florida, every 40 years, it's got to be recertified, and they were in the process of getting the recertifications for it, and I think that they were doing some exterior work on the roof on the wor- roof, and some work on the uh, on the uh, the concrete facings. I mean, if you have buildings that face the ocean, you're, you're getting that, that constant salt spray, and so you always have to, you know, deal with maintenance and stuff. But I, the, it collapsed. It collapsed. One person dead, confirmed, 50-some residents that are, are missing, and, you know, they're they're doing the search through the, the rubble and things like that. I mean, you certainly, you, you certainly hope that this is going to turn out well, but it... You just you just don't know exactly, and you know I mean already I'm looking at the Miami papers, and you know why did the Surfside condominium collapse? Who is to blame for the deadly tragedy? So now that they're going to be you know, trying to look at this, if you have an opportunity to look at some of the videos, um, it's just you, you sit there and you say, my gosh, how could stuff like this happen? And and what was it that led to this? Um, Concrete that slipped off the slide, side of the tower was a giant pile of rubble near the building. Um, boy, um, you know, some people were like saved off of their balconies. It's just, just an amazing sort of experience. I mean, people are describing the sound as like a, like an earthquake or a freight train coming or a bomb going off. You just you wonder what could have happened and what we can learn from this again to make sure it does not happen again. But just a terrible, terrible situation. All right, when we come back. You don't have to do it, but would you? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. WTMJ is partnering with 101.7 The Truth for a special simulcast this afternoon at 4 o'clock. One Milwaukee, a roundtable on race relations in our community. Please join John McCure and Sherwin Hughes as they tackle the issues that matter to you, the issues that matter to all of us. That's Thursday. That's today, 4 o'clock, WTMJ and 101.7 The Truth. Here's uh, just a text, Jeff. I'm listening to you from Miami right now, not in Surfside at the moment, but watching this on TV, I'll bet. Unbelievable. Interesting that the ground around the exterior of the building appears to have collapsed as well. Uh, you just, you just never know what can go on. I, I, this isn't a building collapse, but I, I always remember years and years ago when I, I lived in Whitefish Bay and we had these three huge oak trees in, in our front yard. And one oak tree had died, and we took that down. And then one of the other two oak trees, and these oak trees, they, they date back to like the 1850s, the 1860s. And one, all we, it, it listed, but you know, but it was, it was kind of tilted. And then it was one, it was, it was a night in June. I remember this distinctly. And it had been one of these things where it had been raining off and on for about a week or two. The ground was saturated. Sometimes it happens, not this year, but sometimes it happens. It's about 1030 at night. The doorbell rings, and it's a police officer saying, do you know your tree is down? And this this giant oak tree that was, you know, whatever, goes back to 1860s, had just 
it, it, it always listed a little bit and the ground, I guess, got saturated and it just, it went over. Now, thankfully, and I mean this, it, it didn't go over in our house. It didn't go in the neighbor's house. It, it went across the road. There wasn't anybody there. There weren't any cars parked. So it was just, you know, the, the tree had come down, which was enough of a, of a pain and a huge expense to clean up, but it could have been so much worse, but it was just that it, it just kind of gave way. So, you know, who knows what it was that, that would cause this to happen, but a lot of, a lot of people are going to be discussing this, and it, the the pictures coming out of Miami right now are just are just mind blowing. And of course, the ultimate story is that there's all these people that are still missing, and they're searching through the rubble. It's just a horrible, horrible story. All right, this is a lighter story, but I'm curious as to how you would react. We talk a lot on this program about masks and 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 the difference between people who are comfortable going out into the world maskless that that's that's me at this point in time i'm vaccinated i'm i'm fine with this as far as i'm concerned they can drop the mask requirement on airplanes i won't have a problem and but there are other people out there who aren't at that stage yet including we did a topic yesterday people who even people who are vaccinated we took calls from folks people who are vaccinated who still say they're going to continue to wear masks through the end of the year, maybe for the next year, maybe forever. And to which my response is that that's fine. If that's the decision that you make, fine, go ahead and do this. Which brings me to the story out of Madison involving Metcalf's Markets. Metcalf's Market is a it's it's a well-known grocery store in the in the Madison area. So here's what they they have done. And this is completely voluntary. When you go into the store, and apparently you can do this in Wauwatosa as well, they've got two stores. What you can do is that you can you can pursue peruse the aisles mask free. They they do not have a mask requirement. But here's what they have done: they have set up when you go in, there are tables, and you can get color coded social band wristbands, wherein you as a customer can voluntarily signal your level of comfort with social interaction. So you you go in there and they've got these like little plastic wristbands. You can grab a red wristband, which sends a signal that others should maintain six feet of social distance, no exceptions. So if you're wearing that red wristband, you're saying, I don't want anybody to be near me. Yellow indicates that you are still being cautious, while green signals a willingness for others to engage in close interactions. I guess, now, first of all, my comment would be, with all due respect, when I'm in a grocery store, I don't want to engage in close social <laughs> interactions. I mean, don't don't come up and hug. I don't want strangers to necessarily come up and hug me. But but so but that's the idea. It's like okay, green says I'm I'm essentially back to normal. I'm cool. Yellow says okay, I'm being cautious. Red says stay away. The um, apparently there's a huge demand for the green bands, which again says you know come come hug me. I'm 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 willing to engage in close interactions. That represents eighty percent of the bands that have been taken so like eight out of ten people are are going and, and signaling hey let, let's open this up you do not by the way have to have to take a band you know it, it's it's up to you so it's the business's call on this you know and, it, and it's the customer's call and again there's not a mask requirement so you don't have to wear this but people are you know grabbing these different bands our number 855-616-1620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line i find this to be intriguing only because 
there's no way I'm grabbing a band one one way or 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 the other because I mean what what can you do I mean I was in the grocery store the other day now thankfully my lovely and charming wife does most of the shopping but we were having some people over last Saturday so I got sent to the store she had ordered like uh, a plate of like pieces of tenderloin and so my mission was pick up the tenderloin and then i'm also instructed to pick up horseradish for the tenderloin so i get the tenderloin no problem and then i'm going down these relatively narrow aisles looking for where the jars of horseradish are and inevitably you know there's they're narrow aisles so it's kind of tough to navigate them there's i mean some lady who's looking for ketchup or whatever and she's got her shopping cart parked in front of where you would have to go to get the horseradish, and I'm kind of like climbing over this stuff and all. A lot of times in in the grocery store, you have no choice but to get relatively near other people. So I was trying to sit there and think, okay, well, if this lady, and this wasn't a this wasn't a Metcast, but if this if this lady had like that red band on, and she's in this narrow aisle, and she's in front of where I've got to go to get my horseradish sauce, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? Just kind of hang back and wait until she leaves, or say, excuse me, or whatever. 855-616-1620. If, if they want to do it, they have the right to do it. But I'm thinking, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't. And, and how do you react? So if somebody's walking around with that red band on, do you do you not go up and say, excuse me, but I need to get that horseradish sauce? Or do you not walk past them in the aisle? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How would you react? I think... I'm passing on those bands. Jeff, I want one that says not vaccinated, deal with it. And I want it in rainbow colors um, to remind us of God's promise to Noah that better days are ahead. That's from Heather. Jeff, my employer is rolling out the colored bracelets when we return to our building. Well, again, I, I how does I, I don't understand what, what you're supposed to do. I mean, how do you if if somebody is wearing that red wristband? And they're in the middle of that narrow grocery store aisle. Are, are you not supposed to go down the aisle? Are you supposed to just have this bubble and follow them, staying six feet away? I mean, how do you work on that? Um, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a class reunion this summer, and that's what they're going to do, either with bracelets or lanyards of different colors. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, I think this sounds like a noble idea, but I would probably just shop at a different store because I don't want to have to worry about um, passing people who don't want don't want it um, down the aisle if I have to get, like, toilet paper or something. Well, well, well how do you I react? Depend- I mean, but no, it's a very good question, Jeff, because let, let's say let, let's say you're at the deli counter you're, or, you know, you're you're at the meat counter or whatever, you know, where everybody kind of queues up and, and you grab those, mm-hmm. you, you grab the little things and they're going to call your number and everybody's looking to see, oh, what's the fresh produce there? So if you've got one or two people that are wearing these red wristbands, is, is everybody supposed to just kind of, like, back off? I mean, how as a practical matter, you know, how does it work out, I guess? Yeah, because, like, the, the deli counter is a really good example. Um, if I have a bunch of people with, with the 
the bracelet on that says yeah. don't go near me yeah am i supposed to like wait 20 minutes and then come back when there's like no one else with the bracelet on there right and and are you going to be the social pariah if you're the one saying no i i want i'm sorry i want to i'm you know i'm i'm sorry lady or, or gentleman i appreciate that you've got this red band on but you know what i i want to go up to the deli counter and i want i i want to look and i want to see oh you know what does the pastrami look like today or something no thanks i mean i i just i uh, here, here's a text says uh, Jeff. It seems like this is a business trying to create a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. Um, this isn't an inherently social-driven business like a gym or a music venue. It's a grocery store, and that seems absurd to um, me. You know, um, Jeff. Before this was announced, I jokingly said to my wife, because of vaccine passports, that um, you know we ha- we should have things saying that I am scared of criminals. I just. Look, you don't have to do it, but I guess I wonder if if I go to one of these stores and I decide that I'm I'm not going to wear the wristband, which I'm not going to wear the wristband because I, I'm not afraid of people passing me in the aisle. I don't know what yellow means, meaning I'm I'm cautious, and green. Well, n- no offense, but I, I'm not a hugger. I don't want you coming up and hugging me. You know, I I I don't mind if you walk past me in the grocery store aisle and you say, "Excuse me, I got to get my cart passed, and I, I want to get the I want to get the Cheerios or whatever." I I don't mind that at all. But on the other hand, I don't necessarily want to wear the green bracelet encouraging that. But at the same time, I don't need this bubble around me. I mean, if I did, I, I probably would still be taking advantage of like ordering the the stuff and having them bring it out to my car. In any event, th- this is kind of one of the, the current trends and, and you can decide for yourself whether you want to participate. For me, I, I think green, red, yellow, blue, black, brown, orange. Orange might be kind of cool. I don't know what message that would send. I think I'm going to pass on all this. And yes, if you see me in the grocery store and you like the program, like some lady the other day came up and said, really enjoy the show. I loved hearing that. Loved hearing that, but you don't need to hug me, and I don't need to wear a red bracelet saying, stay away. I don't need that six-foot bubble. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, it doesn't seem like the bad guys are getting the message. Um, we, We are experiencing in this area unprecedented levels of violence. And in fairness, Milwaukee is not unique. You're, you're seeing that in other cities as well. Homicide rates at all-time highs. The shooting rates at, at all-time highs. And and as I always say, I, homicides, it's, it's sort of a lagging indicator because anytime somebody is shot, it, it's but for the grace of God that they don't end up dead. That That's just it. So I, I tend to look at the shootings as much as I look at the homicides, maybe even more. Then, of course, you've got all the assaultive behavior, and we, we've talked endlessly about the cars, 25-plus cars stolen a day on the streets of Milwaukee. I mean, you want to leave your car on the street? Good luck with that. The reckless driving, you know, we've talked about the number of accidents and the the people that are dying right and left because, in many cases, it's 15-year-olds in stolen cars driving 95 miles an hour and blowing through red lights and hitting other people and killing themselves or killing other people. It just And, and of course, you know, the the leaders, it's kind of like, humana, 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 what are we going to do? I know, let's, let's put up billboards to to tell people don't steal cars or let's put up billboards that say don't drive recklessly and then let's let's put up billboards that say okay we'll stop the violence well the message isn't getting out and and i bring this up only because it, it it happens now so often that these stories rarely make 
the news. And, and that is maybe there'll be an isolated blip here and there. But I, I think we're now at this point where we're almost getting immune to to what is going on. And it happens so much that, you know, unless unless it is the situation where the 15 or 16 year old driving the stolen car with the two 12 year olds in it, you know, decides to drive the wrong way at a high rate of speed on Good Hope Road and hits and kills themselves and seriously injures others, that that story that makes the news. But unless it results in some sort of like huge catastrophic result, you you don't hear about the typical, oh, you know, there's, you know, another 20 some cars that are stolen. And the same thing is true with regard to violence. All right. Now, here's just three stories over the course of the last 24 hours or so. One person was shot in an exchange of gunfire outside a Milwaukee Walmart. This is the Walmart on like 103rd and Silver String. Police say the shootout Wednesday afternoon was the result of an argument between the 23-year-old man who was shot and the individual who wounded him. Authorities are looking for a suspect. Investigators placed as many as 25 evidence markers on the pavement outside the store on the city's northwest side. Uh, store personnel sounded an alarm, asked everyone to leave the premises until the police gave the all clear. Okay, 25 evidence markers. That that could be an indicator that there were 25 shots that were fired. That, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but it, it's an indicator that there was there was a lot of gunfire going on, and this is in the middle of yesterday afternoon at at a Walmart store on 103rd and Silver Spring, and you don't you don't uh, yeah it's getting a little bit of coverage, but you know this whenever you have these shootings in this case it doesn't sound like anybody's there's there's one guy that ends up getting shot but he's he's not dead but this could have easily been it would seem to me a whole bunch of people in a Walmart parking lot that end up getting shot and killed it is there but for the grace of god that this does not happen then you have the story that caught my attention Milwaukee police are investigating after a 14-year-old girl was shot and injured Wednesday night a 14-year-old girl. The girl was shot near West Brown Street and North 36th Street at 9.15 p.m. Um, they, she suffered non-life-threatening injuries, was taken to the hospital. Officials say they believe the shooting was the result of a car crash. They're searching for an unknown suspect. So, all right, the, the Walmart shooting is a, a couple you know, jokers get into an argument and at least one of them pulls out a gun and starts firing. In this particular case, you know, the details are still sketchy, but you've got a 14-year-old girl who is shot um, and they say it's the result of a car crash. So, I, you know, we don't know exactly what happened, but you don't have to necessarily be Sherlock Holmes to figure, all right, there's a fender bender or something. People get out, they get into an argument, and some idiot pulls out a gun, and now you've got a 14-year-old that's been shot. Good news is she's not dead. That's very, very good news. But she was shot nonetheless, 14-year-old kid. And then a couple hours later, 17-year-old Milwaukee boy was shot and wounded while sitting in a vehicle near Grantosa and Hampton Avenue in Milwaukee early Thursday, June 24th. So I assume that means 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. That's what I assume. Officials say the teenager was sitting in a vehicle when shots were fired and he was struck. The 17-year-old suffered minor injuries and arrived at a nearby hospital for treatment. Again, Milwaukee police are, suspe- are seeking unknown suspects. So you don't know. you got this kid late at night in this car. You don't know if somebody was shooting at the car. 
You don't know if somebody was shooting at somebody else or something else and just happened to hit the car where the kid was uh, sitting. Don't don't know. But this is, again, in the space of, well, you know, probably not that much more than 12 hours. You have shooting in a Walmart parking lot on 103rd and Silver Spring. You have a 14-year-old girl who's shot is a result of an argument following a car crash. Then you have a 17-year-old who's shot and wounded while sitting in a car. I mean, you talk about the mean streets there. And I guess here's the message. If you are concerned about the livability of a community, you, you've got to address this. And I don't hear I, – I hear billboards. Okay, that, I, Give me a break. I hear, well, you know, we, we need tougher gun laws. Well, well give me a break. It, it's – it's against the law to shoot somebody in the parking lot at a Walmart on a, in the middle of an after, of a Wednesday afternoon. It's against the law to pull out a gun and shoot somebody, a 14-year-old, following an argument after a, a fender bender or a car crash or whatever. It, what, what you got to realize is there are dangerous people who are carrying too many people with the impulse control of fruit flies and no concern about consequences who are armed in many cases to the teeth and who are willing to use those guns to, again, work out whatever issues they have. And you've got people who are getting shot. You've got people who are getting who are dying. And, and nobody seems to have a plan to deal with that. And we're now getting to the point where it's it, it, these stories almost don't make the news. You, you've got to you got to look around and kind of put them together to understand how dangerous it is and how bad it is. And meanwhile, we've got the politicians and the elected officials who kind of twiddle their thumbs and say, well, maybe we should put up some billboards to tell people don't steal cars and don't drive 90 miles an hour and run through red lights. I doubt the people that are going to be looking at those billboards are the ones that are out there stealing the cars or shooting the 14 year old girls. Just saying. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. The announcement is out. We are going to have the State Fair 2021. I am thrilled by that. You know, one of the questions I get all the time about that is, are you going to be broadcasting from there? And yes, Yes, I found out yesterday. I don't know all the details, but as we have been almost every, I think with the exception of one year since I started here in 1998, there was one year that, for whatever reasons, people who, people who, um, our, our management at the time, none of whom is, is here now, but made the decision, again, it, I always say this decision for us not to be out at State Fair that one year was made. I, I don't know if it's a higher pay grade than mine, but it was definitely a different pay grade of mine. So there was one year that we weren't out there, and I think pretty much everybody recognized that that was a bad decision. Um, and so we were going to be back. We're going to be broadcasting live from State Fair. I expect that I'm going to be doing my program, you know, most weekdays that are there, and I look forward to the opportunity to come out and, and say hi to you. Um, I do think one of the questions I always get is, um, you know, are you going to do the Cream Puff Palooza again? And to which my response is, stay tuned, but there might be some good news on that front as well. But But here's the deal. Masks are not going to be required at the State Fair. Individuals are going to be encouraged to follow the CDC rules. Um, there are not going to be capacity limits for the state fair as well. So they're not going to be limiting the number of people that can come. Although my, my guess is that's going to kind of take care of itself. I, I think that there's going to be a lot of pent up demand for this, but I think there's still some people who are going to be a little bit cautious at this point in time. Um, here's, here's one of the interesting things about the fair. The, the hours 
numbers have been reduced. And part of this, based on my understanding, is, again, because the state fair is dealing with the same issue that a lot of businesses are, which is finding people and, and finding staff. I mean, how many restaurants do we know? I can tell you, I can give you, I could name at least five restaurants that I can think of where they have had to reduce their operating hours, or in some cases, just, hey, we'd love to be open Tuesday, but we're not, because they can't find people to, to work. So um, State Fair, I think, is going through a lot of that. So typically, State Fair would open up like at 8 or 8.30. Um, right now, parking lots are going to open up at 10.30 daily. And um, State Fair itself is going to open up at 11 in the morning. So instead of 8 or 8.30, it's going to be open at 11. All food vendors, shopping, buildings, and Spin City will be open at 11 in the morning. From what I understand, if, you are, if you've got a competitive exhibition, um, that's going to continue to, to take place. So there'll be ways, presumably, those folks can get in. But for the general public to come out and graze and enjoy State Fair, um, it, it's not going to open up until 11 o'clock in the morning. It remains open until 11 o'clock p.m. Here is the, the one thing that people need to know in advance, and that is that it, when you show up at State Fair on the day of the event, parking and admissions will be cashless. Parking and admissions will be cashless. So, you know, if, if you buy your tickets in advance, there's all sorts of opportunities to buy a parking pass in advance or to buy your tickets in advance. And depending where you go, you can use a credit card or you can use cash. But if you show up to get into the parking lot, you're going to have to either have a pass that you've already bought, purchased, or you're going to have to use a, a credit or debit card or whatever. So parking and admissions are going to be cashless. My understanding, and matter of fact, it's not just my understanding, the way it is, cash is still going to be accepted on the ground. So if you go up and you you, you want to buy a, a beer from one of the vendors and stuff, you, you can still use cash, assuming that individual vendor is going to take cash. But to get in, you need to have the credit cards. Um, they say credit cards are debit cards. Uh, State Fair says that they're, they're doing that because they think it's going to um, help move people in faster. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've done the bit before. I'm, I'm not I'm not convinced it really speeds things along, but that's that's what they're trying this year. So we'll, we'll see how it ends up working. Um, they're also making some other adjustments. They're not going to be selling. Um, uh, they will not sell refillable souvenir cups. They won't refill cups from past years and that they're not going to be hosting various eating contests. So that celebrity like cream puff eating thing that I've managed to avoid participating in for 20 some years, well, I guess there's going to be another year that I'm not going to participate in it. But you, the good news is State Fair is coming back. The good news is there's not going to be capacity limits. The good news is there's not going to be mask requirements, but it will be a little bit different as they try to navigate the transition from the pandemic year to back to more of a sense of normalcy. So so just be prepared. And the big thing is, again, if, get your tickets in advance, get your parking taxes passes in advance. If you don't, just recognize that they're not going to take cash to use that. And everybody come out and say hi to us and have fun at the State Fair.
So a couple of people are texting saying, we, we don't understand why is the State Fair not opening at, at, at 8.30 or 8 o'clock like it used to. And, and, and there's a variety of factors. First and foremost, they, they, can't, they can't get people to work there. And unlike, say, oh, I don't know, Milwaukee County with the, the July 3rd thing, the State Fair, they hire people for a couple of weeks, period. It's so, and they, they don't have folks that they can draw from like other areas, like Milwaukee County, if, if they had their act together, and they don't, they could have had 3rd of July fireworks. They could have simply said, okay, we're going to pull some people off of Brown Deer Park and we're going to move them down on the 3rd or the 4th to have them cleaning up garbage and things like that. But in, in Milwaukee County, they don't have the foresight to do that. State Fair doesn't have that option. You've got a finite number of employees, and I, I think one of the issues is they're, they're, they're trying to get them staffed as much as possible. But you know, by not opening until 11 instead of 8, you, you don't need as many employees for as long a period of time. And so that's it. In addition, what they say is that they have increased sanitation protocols that require additional time. I don't know what those sanitation protocols are, but my guess is that, you know, once once State Fair closes down at 11, didn't it used to be? It used to be open till midnight, I thought. I thought, but I could be wrong about that. But I, so my guess is they're going to have all these different rules that are going to be in place about, you know, once once it closes down, once they get the grounds emptied, about all the different cleaning process that they're going to have to go through. And I think they figure they want a couple extra hours to do that. Now, I understand there's people who love to come out, you know, first thing in the morning. But as somebody who has worked at State Fair doing a show for, like I say, the better part of, you know, more than 20 years, I, I will tell you, as a general rule, the crowd starts to pick up, you know, in, in the afternoon. That's, you know, a lot of times those early mornings. And look, it's a great time to be out at State Fair, but early mornings, it's not it's not heavily trafficked. And so if you had to cut back and say, OK, what's we need some more time to get the thing sanitized and we need we've got to figure out, does it make more sense? If we don't have enough people to staff the gates, do do we want to have people there at three o'clock when lots of workers there at three o'clock, or do we want to wait till later? And and you, it makes sense, I think, when you look at it. All right, when we come back, hey kid, want to make some dough? I'll explain. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. But just a couple additional notes. Melissa was talking about the, the different traffic issues caused by road construction and some of the heavy rain. Um, we're, we're getting, I'm getting a number of people who are texting in. Some of these roads were, are starting to flood because, like in one case, they said Highway 100. There's a portion of that where there's construction work and apparently, like some of the construction work has blocked off the drain. And so water is pond, Melissa, uh, ponding and pooling and things well, like that. Well, I'm looking that. on the map right now. That doesn't surprise me because we've had some heavy thunderstorms go through the air. Area. Right. For example, one of our texts, I just traveled Highway 100 from Oklahoma to Greenfield. The far right lane is flooded due to construction closing off the drain. You have to drive slow. So I and I just this is happening around the area because there, there's been a heavy line of rainstorms that were moving through. It's been dumping buckets and um, looks like it's moving through right at the moment. But again, it, it's there's ponding that's going on. And if you've got that construction work, and again, the drains are blocked, there's there's an area that I, I travel on almost daily basis. And whenever it rains hard, it just, it, it just it doesn't fills rain. Up. Yeah. Right. So I guess the bottom line is 
uh, be careful <laughs> yeah. if you're if you're out there. Yeah. No, because because if you see, I mean that that's one of the things you see if it, for some of these intersections that for whatever reason, whether it's construction work or whatever, they they get that heavy downpours of rain and there's the standing water and people always try to drive through oh, it and I a know. lot of times good things just don't happen when you mm-hmm. do that. So so just be careful and be smart. And if you're listening to WTMJ, you are careful and you are smart. So we just want to make you yes. a little more careful and maybe even a little more smart. And we'll keep you updated on everything going on the roads this afternoon. Right, exactly. So um you know just keep track of it. Again, like I say the um we need the rain, there's no question about it, but as I, if I was saying, Melissa, I, I, I kind of like that nice, gentle, soaking <laughs> rain. You know, just kind of the nice, gentle, soft rain. We don't get that like too that. often. It's either nothing or, or just a the, deluge. Right, that, right yeah. that, that causes the different issues. So just mm-hmm. be careful if you're out and about. And then inevitably what happens, if, for example, I get a text and, Jeff, I'm driving in Ozaki County. It's raining buckets. Time to remind drivers, licensed or not, turn on your headlights. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, the, the fact that we have to keep reminding people to turn on their headlights. But, yeah, really does help when you're out on the roads in a storm. Well, right. And, you know, and part of it is, and, and I, I have to remind myself of this because I have my headlights permanently set in the auto position, mm-hmm. you know, for, for people who might not have that feature, you, on, on at least on, on the cars I've owned recently, you, you can, the, the headlights come on and off automatically. You set it on auto so you don't have to remember to turn on your, your headlights at, at night, for example. And it's a wonderful feature, but a lot of times... It, that doesn't happen till you reach a certain lack of light and the, the auto feature won't kick in when it's in the middle of the day. And so you're driving around and you might even think the lights are on, but, but they're not. And the lights being on at this point, it's not so much for you to see where you're going. It's for other people yeah, to be able exactly. to see you. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, Melissa is going to be with us all afternoon, keeping us updated on the roads. All right. Let us switch gears. Is it time to just start paying people? Now, now let me just kind of back into this. For years, the NCAA has had pretty much a monopoly on making money from from sports. There is a ton of money to be made from college basketball, particularly men's college basketball, women to an extent, but mostly men, and and football. Those are the two big revenue-producing sports. And at many, many, many universities, colleges across the country, though, those sports generate a ton of revenue. And the colleges will tell you, or the universities will tell you, that the revenue generated by those sports then helps them fund all the, the other sports. The lacrosse team, there, there's no money to support the lacrosse team if it wasn't for the fact that the basketball team or the football team was generating all this revenue. That's why the last year was so tough on a lot of universities because they're used to having 100,000 people on a Saturday at the football game, and, and they don't have it. So it, it, it's a big moneymaker, and it is true that the the colleges and universities take some of the money that they make and they use it to support other sports. That is a truism. But that they also use it for other things as well. And that's why your coaches, some coaches make millions of dollars and things like that. Because, you know, you have a winning sports program and the alumni go nuts and they love it. And then they're more inclined to make donations and things like that. So it, it's a big business. It is a big business, though, that is built on the backs of the the the, the kids, the students, the quote-unquote student athletes, the, the players who are out there, whether they're the football players or whether they're the basketball players. For years and years, the NCAA has taken the position that 
you are entitled, if you're a player, you're entitled to your education, you get the scholarship, you get your room and board, and, and pretty much nothing else. Pretty much nothing else. Meanwhile, the, the the teams have gotten all the revenue. The the um, in many cases, the universities have licensed the likenesses of the players, for example, to uh, different like uh, video game makers and things like that. So you know, you can you can buy this basketball game, and and you can you can be the Valparaiso Crusaders or whatever they call themselves now. You know, you can do that. But the players who are the actual Valparaiso Crusaders, they don't get paid for that. So there's been a series of lawsuits that have come out about this and some different changes in state laws. Earlier this week, the Supreme Court, by a was it unanimous or was it eight to one? They, anyways, they, they, they ruled that college, that that players can, in fact, receive more than just their their room and board and they can, in fact, receive more than just their, their tuition. They can get other, quote-unquote, academic benefits. The Supreme Court did not deal with, right now, the fundamental question of, can student-athletes be paid? However, six states have already passed laws which say that athletes have the right, if you go, if you go to Nebraska, there's a big story in the Wall Street Journal about this today. If you are an athlete at Nebraska, Nebraska's state law says that you are allowed to negotiate your own deals. And I'm simplifying this a little, but not too much. You, you can, you can sell your likeness. You can be paid for appearances. You can cut your own endorsement deal. So for example, if I'm a, star running back and I'm trying to decide what college I want to go to one of the big selling points and they can say hey you come to Nebraska and here's the deal we've got you know we, we've got the Wagner car dealership and the guy that runs that is a huge supporter of Nebraska football and you come to us and we're going to put you in touch with him and he is going to sign you to an endorsement deal and you know you're going to get paid fifty thousand bucks or a hundred thousand bucks or whatever ten thousand dollars whatever the number is. You can sign endorsement deals. You will be allowed to do that. Whereas if you go to some other school in some other state, you're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to get the money. Six states have already allowed that to happen, and it appears that the NCAA they're 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 not going to fight it because they know that in all likelihood they will end up losing. So now you have some of these schools that have taken the position that hey, we're our our, our athletes the state law says that they can go out and they can again sell themselves to, you know, donors and things like that. They now have a huge advantage over some of the other places that, that don't allow that to happen. Because again, if, if the choice is, hey, if, if you're a, if you're a basketball player and you you hope to be in the NBA and the deal is, well, I can go and play for, do I, do I, yeah, I want to go play for a winning program and I want to play with good players, but gee, if I can, if I can cut this deal where I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars a year by playing for one school versus nothing playing for another, Okay, it doesn't take too much to realize that you know the 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 better players, the ones who can cut these endorsement deals, are going to go and and they're going to start participating. They're going to go to those colleges. So the genie is now out of the bottle. It seems to me, which raises the ultimate question of: Is it time to simply 
forget this notion of amateurism and just say, we're going to let colleges play, play, pay players. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're going to allow colleges to recruit. We're going to allow colleges to offer money to the players and and then just turn this into the free market. 855-616-1620. And I bring this up because th- this is clearly the, the trend. The Supreme Court hasn't said that the NCAA has to do this yet, but in my opinion, in the next couple of years, there's going to be a lawsuit where they really do say by not allowing the players to be paid, that's a violation of antitrust law. So, I mean, I think this is coming, but already you've got this deal where in some states, the better players are going to be allowed to cash in on their likenesses, their endorsements, etc. And doesn't that give the, the schools that are allowed to do that, doesn't give that give them an incredible competitive advantage over the schools that aren't? So why don't we just stop this pretense? I think it, it might remove some of the cheating aspects from the sport because, you know, you're always hearing these stories about these college athletes who, you know, are taking money under the table and things like that. And then they find out about it three years later and they go back and they strip the school of the various wins that they had or whatever, maybe by just allowing us to come out and, and pay players wouldn't in some respects it make the whole thing cleaner? 855-616-1620. And look, and I understand this is a, this is something different. This isn't what we've, you know, we, we've done historically. But it's 2021. Is it time to change with the times? 855-616-1620. And, and my answer is yes, because I don't think if the NCAA doesn't do it, I think the courts are going to do it for them. I can't believe what I'm seeing. You mean how green that cornfield is? No, I'm talking about the corn stalk that just walked across the road. Yeah, but that mirror of his knee worked great. You know what they say, greener fields, higher yields. I hear you, but a walking corn stalk is still pretty crazy. Mm, can't blame it for choosing greener, healthier mirror of his knee fields. True. Still crazy, though. Miravis Neofungicide, with improved disease control and increased plant health. It delivers a difference even corn can see. Learn more at SyngentaUS.com slash Miravis Neo. Always read and follow label instructions. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Look, I, I understand that, you know, we, we have this image of, oh, well, you've got the, the student athlete and, and all that, but... The way this is going, that the court cases are very, very clear, and they're saying that you know the, the NCAA is a monopoly, and they can't impose these rules that stop the college athletes from being able to get paid for their services. And and, and they haven't come down with a ruling that says you can pay them, but I, I think that's coming. So should we just simply say, look, let's 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 allow colleges to go out, let's allow them to try to recruit, let's allow them to pay uh to pay the students. And it's not going to happen for everybody, but you know for the the best students, if the school is making a ton of money from your services, should you be entitled to negotiate a deal beyond just your scholarship and you know what your books and your food. Let's start with Keith in West Bend. Hi Keith. Hey, how's it going? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I think it's way overdue. I think that uh, in the past that you've had uh, NCAA restrictions that, you know, these kids, they can't even work, you know, in the summer. You know, they can't even have a job if they're on scholarship. Right. You know, the restrictions are so great because, you know, you know if God forbid they make a dollar extra an hour because some booster was paying them. But ultimately, though, at the end of the day in the court case, 
is that these schools and these operations are making tons and tons of money. And the kids who are playing football and other sports like that that make that generate these huge revenues, most of those kids are not seeing the benefit of that money because most of them are graduating, or at least a lot of them are. And then a, a couple of years after school, what are they doing? They need to get their money when they can get it. I totally agree with this. Okay, now the flip side would be, and a number of people are sending me texts that are saying, "You would no, this is a bad idea because they're they're already getting stuff. They're they're getting their they're they're getting their education paid for. They're getting their room and board. They're getting their books paid for. That should be enough." Well, it seems like enough, except when a university is making you know. Well, I think it's a billion dollars is what the court case was saying, is what the whole thing is worth. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the value of that education, if they don't realize that value, if they don't graduate, let's just say they didn't, okay? Right, sure. But the room and board and all of that is that they're not allowed to make any extra money. So I think people, the restrictions on the kids, and I say kids, these are adults, right. the restrictions that they have are too severe. So the only way to do it, I mean, Seriously, they can't work. You can't get a gift of a car, okay? Even if a family member wants to give you a car that you can use. So what if you're from a poor area, okay, someplace in New Jersey, you're running back, you know, hey, I'm going to go play for Wisconsin, the travel back and forth, all of that. None of that is covered, but yet you're generating thousands and thousands of millions of dollars for a university who's going to say, I'm going to give you an education, we all know what that means at the end of the day. Well, well also, it Keith, it, it, I mean, it, it, line if there's one more kid. Well, it's also, it's, it's, that, that's not, no, I mean, that, even that, that edu- it's not guaranteed. I mean, these scholarships in general renew every year. So if a kid turns out to be, um, that, it, you know, that they thought he was going to be great, he's that running back and he's not great, well, maybe the scholarship doesn't get renewed. Um, if the kid gets hurt, boom, you know, you're, you're gone. Now, see, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I also think that we talk about transparency. I think this would make the whole system a lot more honest. You, you wouldn't have the players and the agents, you know, sneaking around and taking the payments from the boosters and stuff. This, this would just be all, all up front. And yeah, it might cost the colleges a little bit of money, but I think that there's, I think that they'd still make a bunch of money as well. Yeah, and let the kids make money outside of the university. I don't have a problem with that. If you want to sell your likeness and, you know, a Taco Bell, and you can go do that. How does that affect the university? It doesn't affect any other sports if they make money outside of the school. No, I got it. Thanks for the call. Okay, Jeff, college athletes don't need to be paid for playing sports. They are going to college to learn a career. Um, if they are great enough to play for a professional team, that's when they must choose between their career and being paid to play. All right, I, I say this respectfully. That, that, that's, I think, a naive attitude. I mean, I think that there's, yes, that's that's probably true for a lot of players, probably the vast majority of players. But let, let's face it. Um, you, you have a lot of these young people that are playing sports, and that's the, the, college is a means to an end. You know, we're, we're going to go to college to get ourselves noticed so we get drafted so we can be an NBA player or so we can be a player in the NFL. College is the means to the end for a lot of people. And so I guess that's for the people that aren't going to be able to make a professional career out of it. I mean, are they entitled? Should they have the rights to, to say, look, if the university is going to make money 
off of me, shouldn't I be able to go to the local car dealer and say, hey, I'm going to do an endorsement. And yeah, you give me a car and I'm going to drive around because maybe that's going to make people more likely to go to Wagner Motors if they know that, you know, the great running back is is endorsed by Wagner Motors. I, I think the NCAA has got to figure this out because it's it's really clear where where the courts are going, but it's also clear where these states are going. And lo- right now, you've got a real uneven playing field. I don't think people realize this. You've got six states which have said athletes are legally allowed. They cannot be stopped from, again, cutting side deals with boosters and things of the like. And again, if, this big story in the Wall Street Journal, Nebraska's recruiting. Hey, to come to Nebraska, play football for us, and you can get paid. You don't think that that's going to be a huge advantage for Nebraska over, I don't know, somebody considering going to Purdue or whatever? I, I just, I think it will. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So I haven't said much, haven't said anything about the Bucks playoff game last night. Disappointing, and I, I mean, it, it, it's only one game. My only suggestion would be, moving forward, you can't let somebody score forty-eight points on you. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. Again, I don't. I, I don't claim to be a professional basketball coach or analyst or things like that. But the the Trey Young goes off for forty-eight points, and you know it, it wasn't just that. But the the Bucks defense, he was just driving around them like he was, they were statues. So if he's not throwing in three-point shots from half court, he's driving around them like they're statues, and then he's passing to open people who are getting dunks. It was. It was not a good performance defensively, and um, they, they've got several more games to try to figure it out, but you just can't allow that to happen, and hopefully, I, I continue to believe, I think the Bucks are a much more talented team, but as Wayne Larravee always says, it's not necessarily, you know, who you play, it's it's when you play them, and Atlanta clearly a team on the rise, and if they can't figure out how to stop somebody from scoring 48 points and letting his teammates score another 40 thanks to him, they're going to be in a lot of trouble, and they're going to find themselves getting their golf clubs and on summer, summer vacation a lot earlier than a lot of us hope. So hopefully they'll pull it out. Hey, as long as we're talking about sports, I'm going to talk about something that's going on um, in Madison now with the WIAA that, in my opinion, shouldn't have to happen. Because the WIAA, which is the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, they should do the right thing and not require the legislature to act. It has to do with protecting kids who transferred because of COVID. Now, let me back into this topic. The the WIAA has, in my opinion, a legitimate concern uh, about kids that just use open enrollment or whatever who could care less about school moving from one school to another simply so they can play with their friends or they can create a super team, right? That, that This was an issue with my alma mater, Nicolet, a couple years back. You had all these kids who played together in, like, the AAU basketball or what, whatever it was during the summer, and they decided that they wanted to play together, so that they all managed to get themselves at the same high school. Now, how did they do that? Well, mom and dad decided, all right, you know, we're, we're out in Sun Prairie or whatever. We're now going to move to Glendale, and then we're going to enroll the kid in, in the school. Well, okay, there, there's not a lot you can do to stop that. And so the WIA has these rules that say, as a general rule, once you're in high school, and I'm over, oversimplifying, but only a little, as a general rule, once you're in high school, if you transfer schools, you've got to sit out a year unless 
there was a legitimate reason for the transfer. And the most legitimate, the most typical reason is going to be that, you know, your, your parents have moved into the district. They're trying to get away from this deal about, hey, um, the kid suddenly decides his parents are living in Sun Prairie, but he's going to go live with a friend or with a friend of the family or with an uncle or something. He's going to go live in Glendale so he can be part of the super team at Nicolet. I support those rules. Because, I mean, the idea of the, these kids just kind of bouncing around wherever they want, I, I don't think it's good for the schools. I don't think it's good for the athletes. I don't think it's good for high school sports in general. So I support the rule. All right, this was a different year because of COVID. And you will recall that there were a lot of schools that decided to go virtual. And there were a number of parents who said, look, we, we think virtual learning sucks. We, we just don't think it works. And so there were a number of parents who pulled their kids out of public schools that were virtual, and they ended up moving them to other schools. Maybe it was a charter school, maybe it was a parochial school, whatever, where the, the learning was in person. Right. That that was that was it. Well, OK, athlete athletics were sort of a second thought this year. But here's here's where the problem is. Um, the way it stands now. If you had a kid who was like, for example, a, a football player, a, a sophomore at Oconomowoc High School, for the sake of argument, and because the mom and dad pulled the kid out because of the virtual learning and sent him to like some some private school or some charter school because they didn't like the they, they, they wanted in-person instruction. Right, so now let's say the kid is at that school. He, he enjoys what he's doing. He, he wants to stay there. Well, the way the WIAA rule works is he can't participate in athletics at his new school because he would have to sit out a year because of, of the transfer thing. So what, what John Jagler, my former colleague here at WTMJ, is now a state senator from the area, he's introduced legislation. He says, look, this isn't right. We should, COVID should be kind of a free year. And if parents pulled their kids out of school because of this virtual thing, and now they're at a new school, the, the kids should be able to participate in sports at that new school without having to lose a year of eligibility. Now, the way it works with the WIAA is if they go back, let's say that's happened. If a kid now goes back to his old school, he can participate, but he can't participate at the new school. And Jagler thinks it's wrong. He's introduced legislation which is moving through the, the state system. Whether Evers will sign it or not, I, I don't know. But to me, this is just a fundamental question of, of doing the right thing. I get the idea of not wanting to have super teams, but in this particular case, if you get pulled out of one school because it's virtual and you go to another school, I don't, because of COVID, I don't think that athlete should be punished and prevented from playing this season at their new school. And in a perfect world, you wouldn't need legislation to do this. The WIAA would get its head out of its collective butt and and, and do the right thing, recognizing that this is just a one-year sort of thing. So far, they haven't been willing to do it. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, kids that, that have shuttled around because of COVID, should they be punished if they want to participate in sports at their new school? My answer would be absolutely not. What do you think? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gary in Milwaukee. Gary, good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Uh, yeah, I have to uh, disagree with you a little bit on your uh, viewpoint about uh, it being unfair to withhold that student back a year because he's changed because of uh, virtual right. uh, learning. Uh School is number one reason for school is education. Yep. And uh, it seems we are putting sports ahead of education, and education should come first. If that student changes because he wants to go to a school that doesn't have virtual learning, then he should be helped. If he's held back that one year, so be it. But but you're but, but see what you're doing, Gary, is you're you're see you're you're punishing the kid for trying to better his education. So let, let here, and this is how this comes up. You've got a kid who's at a school who's at a school last year who who's not doing well with the virtual learning. So he moves to a school that's in person, and now he's doing a lot better. Mm-hmm. You're saying that he, he can't. We're going to punish him for for moving to that in person thing by not allowing to play sports. To, to me, that that it's completely the opposite. You should be rewarding him for trying to improve his education and his parents. Is it is it punishment, though, Jeff? Because he's going there for a reason for his ed, yeah. to better his education. If he's out of sports for one year, he can go to the next year. Okay, I mean, but but the, but the, but what you're put things in perspective here. Well, Gary, yeah, let, let's put them in. Thanks for calling. Let, let's say, I guess I, I couldn't disagree with you more because so so what under your scenario is all right. If the kid is struggling and not learning during the virtual thing, but he, but he still wants to play basketball or he wants to play football or whatever, the, the the response is no. Continue to fail. Stay in the virtual learning that's not working for you. Um, or if you decide that or you and your parents decide that, hey, you need that in-person instruction, you're, you're going to move to better your education. We're going to punish you. If you stay in the virtual learning and, and, and just struggle and limp by, OK, then you can play football the next year. But if you if you switch over and you're, you're in the in-person thing and you're doing better and you're improving your education, we're not going to let you play. I guess to me that that makes absolutely no sense you're you're punishing the kid for wanting and, and in particular the kid's parents as well you're punishing the kid for all right trying to to keep his education current and look and i'm not arguing that you need that this is a covid year see this is where it's like the wiaa drives me crazy we're, we're making all these different exceptions for things because of covid so like the rule is if you've transferred to, to get out of the virtual thing, if you go back to your old school, you can play. So they're, they're trying, but, but what about the kid that, that goes to the new school? He loves it. He's doing well. He's thriving. You're now going to say you're going to have to give up football for a year. You're going to have to give up basketball for a year because of that. No, I, I guess I just think that we should be applauding this. And it's just, it's, it's this problem you get where the rules are rules. I understand and have no problem with the basic underlying rule that you don't want kids bouncing around and saying, okay, we all, what happened at Nicolet a few years ago? Here, we're going to just try to figure out ways that we can move this like special, you know, extracurricular team and get them all playing at Nicolet and then win the state championship, which is what happened. I get that you're, why you don't want to do that, but that's, that's not this. And somebody texted me and said, how many kids are we talking about? Hundreds, thousands? No, my my guess is there's probably only a handful of kids that this is caught up in. So wh- why 
why not? It's not like you're going to be destroying the entire transfer sort of system. You're going to be saying, okay, COVID was a really weird year. And there was a huge dispute about this virtual education and the merits of it. But we're not going to punish the parents and in particular the kids whose parents made the decision that, hey, we, we're concerned about our kids learning and we think that they need that in-person instruction. Um, um, Jeff, the real purpose that the students are doing this for is to play athletics and the coaches will recruit them so they can have super teams. Well, no. All right. This is it, it's a one off. Even the legislation that's being introduced only applies to this year. This is the the COVID exception. So how many how many kids could this possibly involve? Not that many, but it's a big deal to the ones that do. It does involve. This isn't a, a long term workaround. It's not saying that uh, because it's designed specifically for the kids who transferred because again their schools were virtual. I think. Pretty much every school in Wisconsin next semester is going to be back to offering the in-person instruction. So this issue goes away. You're talking about a handful of kids and you're talking about unique circumstances caused by, you know, um, COVID. Jeff, it's almost irrelevant because if they really want their kid to play in that new school, they're going to get an apartment and actually move or at least pretend to. Well, no, not necessarily because in, for example, in a lot of these cases, the, the charter school is, is in the same sort of school district where the, the other school is. So would we say to the parents, hey, you, you've got to move, you know, like six houses down or something to get around this? It's just as easy to recognize COVID was an exceptional year. Um, Jeff, the NCAA gave a one year forgiveness. Um, uh, the state levels for high school, um, should do this as well. Yeah, I, I would agree. COVID is a unique situation. And I think this is something, see, this is my, again, my beef with the WIAA, that there's not somebody that sit, they're sitting there saying, well, we don't want the state to regulate us. We're, we're, we're a private organization and, and we don't think that the state should be monkeying with our rules. Okay, I, I don't disagree with that, but that's why you shouldn't do stupid things. And to me, this this is one of those you know examples um, that you could you could just do this, Jeff. I don't think you can set a precedent like this. Well, I, I think you, you can. To me, um, one of our textures makes the point that you know the, the student only has four years of eligibility, so you're just gonna you're gonna take away a year of that eligibility at the high school level simply because the parents decided, hey, you're not doing well in school. We need to get you out of the virtual learning and get you back in person. Seems to me that you should be applauding that as opposed to punishing this. That's just me. Again, I think at the end of the day, hopefully the WIAA will end up doing the right thing. You're only talking about a handful of kids. Let them do the right thing. Let these kids play at their new school. It's not going to upset the competitive balance. And again, after after this year, the issue ends up going away. That's just how I see it. And this is Jeff Wagner. There are firsts for everything. And I think in all the years that I have been doing a radio program in this market, I don't think I have ever mentioned the name Britney Spears on the program until today. I mentioned the phrase Britney's the name Britney Spears because it, Britney Spears is all over the news. Britney Spears, this, this shows how time flies. She's 39 years old. Little Britney Spears is 39 years old. And for here's the, the weird thing. For the last like 15 years, 
she has been in what they call a conservatorship run by her father. She She's not allowed to control her money. She's not uh, allowed to make decisions like can she go off birth control or things like that. There's all these. It, it, and she's 39 years old. She's a it, the, the weirdest thing is that people will say, well, well, she can't she can't handle this. She can't do this. She's like, well, wait a second. I I, I can go and perform a residency in Las Vegas. I, I can do all these things. But you're I'm not allowed to control my own money or things like that. Well, there's a big court hearing yesterday. And, it, you know, she's saying I want to be free. I'm 39 years old nowadays. I want out of this this conservatorship, which I was told all along that when I'm ready to take control of my own life, I can have it. The father doesn't want to do it because it's going to cost the father money. The managers don't want to do it because they're afraid they're going to lose some control over this. But I, I, I'm watching the story, and there's all these people who are saying, free Britney Spears. Look, she might end up being a train wreck. That, that's entirely possible. But she's 39 years old. At some point in time, I mean, imagine when you're 40 years old and you're, you're able to work and you're able to make millions of dollars, but you're not able to decide how you're going to spend it or what you're going to do with your life. That's just wrong, too. So I never thought I'd be mentioning the name Britney Spears on the program, and I never thought I'd be using the phrase free Britney Spears on the program. But, you know, free Britney Spears. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Melissa Barkley, my favorite text of the day so far. Jeff, you're right. Nobody on the other side of the radio expected to hear you say, Free Britney Spears. <laughs> Just don't start sobbing like Perez Hilton or I'm changing the channel. Now, it's I, I brought that up. You, We were talking off the air. You feel very strong. You've been following the Britney Spears case for a while. Yeah, I, I have been. And just what happened yesterday, I think it was we were waiting for her to speak because she hasn't been able to for the past 13 years or just hasn't. Uh, but it was kind of surprising. I think a lot of people thought, Eh, you know, maybe it's conspiracy theory that she's being held against her will. But now we're kind of seeing that things are not right. It, there, there's an abusive situation going on. She's the cash cow for a lot of people. Right. And I really feel and, like they're and, and, trying right. to keep her under wraps. Well, well exactly. They, starting, in my opinion, starting with the father yeah, and the managers and all these people. She is the cash cow and they yep. don't want to stop. They don't want to stop milking her. And I mean, it's that's it. I mean, this idea that, well, you know, she she needs she needs us to protect her. Well, she's 39 years old. Yeah. And yes, admittedly, she is bipolar, but there's lots of people who are bipolar yeah, in this world are. who take meds and they, they function and they're not under these conservatorships where they can't control their money and they can't make decisions and they can't go to the doctor and have their IUDs removed because that, that their father shocking. doesn't want to allow it. I mean, it, it is. Uh, it, it, and again, it's it's one of these deals where there's a ton of money involved and there's a lot of people that have been living off of her for years, including the dad, mm -hmm. and they don't want to give that up. No, she's paying for lawyers on both sides, I've read. Um, you know, I mean, she half of us wouldn't be able to do a residency in Las Vegas right. <laughs> under a conservatorship. And I think when you think of conservatorship, you think of someone that has dementia, someone that's older, someone that has no ability to control what they do. And I just think it's horrible. I mean, I think she's been through a lot and it's let her live her life, right? Well, right. Whatever and that is. I, I agree. She and wants it, to and, have a kid. Right. She wants and to it, get married. Well, it's entirely possible that, you know, she will make bad decisions. That's but, true. But we, we all, you know, we, we all, make, right, we all make the, these bad decisions and that you have the, the rights to do it. And I, I, I do think I was kind of stunned by this thing too, because I didn't realize the conservatorship went on for 13 years and I, I didn't realize 
how controlling this thing was, but essentially the, the dad and the managers and all these people who make a ton of money off, yeah. she's, I can't get past the fact that she's okay to work. You know, yeah. okay, you can make these, this difference. You're, you're okay to work, but you're not okay to decide if you're going to buy a car. You're not okay to decide, you know, who you're going to go out with or things like that. There's something that's wrong and about this. And she's giving, uh, I think I read that her dad gives her a $2,000 allowance per month for someone that, is, you know, making millions and millions of dollars. Just, I, I just feel like the control is just overload and abusive. Well, yeah, I, I and I, again, I, it's... <laughs> and I know I would never, I, I would agree with your listener. I would never imagine Spirit. you would say free Britney, but well, I, I get it. I, I, start, I started, I was watching, actually, my, my wife, Fran, was watching some of this. She said, this just looks yeah. absolutely awful. And and again, you, you watch her and you don't get the idea of somebody who is dangerously mentally ill. You, you, I mean, obviously she's got issues, and like mm-hmm. I say, she's she's bipolar. But there, there's lots of people who who deal with that, and you don't say we're not going to let you make any decisions. But honey, we're going to let you keep working your butt off and make all sorts so of money, can, so yeah. the rest of us can do that. She but. was also on a reality show too. I think America's Got Talent as a judge, you, you can do all of this. Like it just, it really is shocking. Yeah. So I'm I'm with you. Free mm-hmm. Britney Spears. I'm there. Uh, you know during. Melissa's newscast. She was talking about that the latest nominee, the Fire and Police Commission, is in Milwaukee. Is just this incredibly? I, I was just, I was sort of closing my eyes if my voice changed a little. I just put it away. I'm, I'm searching for a word that I can say on the radio. It, it's just a cluster bumble. I mean, it, it that's if that's a word. But it, you, you, just, you just look at all the problems that this dysfunctional agency has had. They've gone through different executive directors. Um, Al Morales, who in my opinion was one of the best police chiefs the city of Milwaukee's had in decades, they, they cut his legs out, figuratively speaking, from under him. They didn't like the fact that he was that, that he, he wanted to reinstitute the gang squad to go after repeat criminals. They didn't like the idea that he was trying to be aggressive in dealing with protesters so it didn't get out of control. He was never the mayor's guy. He And so the Fire and Police Commission decide that they're going to dump him. They do it in a fashion that a circuit judge has ruled is illegal. They have exposed the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee to various lawsuits and, and probably probably at least a seven-figure settlement. I mean, it just it's just, it's been incredible. And, of course, then you have all sorts of problems with the Fire and Police Commission and allegations that, that some of them have engaged in unethical uh, behavior. It's just, it's a complete and total mess. So Tom Barrett, who appoints members of the Fire and Police Commission, and then they have to be approved, he rolls out three new appointees. And I guess I kept thinking, is it possible See, Barrett's city is, figuratively speaking, burning around him. And is at some point in time, before he leaves office, and my guess is this has got to be his last term, but that's just my guess. Before he leaves office, you would think that you'd want to have a legacy of, of at least people being, being safe and a, a legacy of, of some degree of public you know, security and things like that. And that's not where they're heading. So I was curious to see who he's going to come up with. Now, I know... I know two of the three appointees, so I'll just talk about them for a moment. One of his appointees, and they have to be approved, is Ed um, Fallone. If you've heard that name before, it's because he is an uber-liberal constitutional law professor at Marquette University who has run unsuccessfully for state Supreme Court twice, 
first time he, he lost when he was running against Patience Rogensack, who's the chief justice in 2013. And then he ran again and, and didn't get out of the primary. So he's one of these wannabe guys, very, very liberal, not certainly not, at least in my opinion, a, a law and order type. And it would be nice to have a couple law and order types that would be on the Fire and Police Commission. That, that's, that's certainly not Ed Fallone. And then he nominates Joan Kessler. Now, Joan Kessler was the U.S. attorney under Jimmy Carter. That's that's how far back she goes. She worked at, a, at, at the largest law firm in the state, and she was an appeals court judge for a while until she retired. I mean, she's uber liberal as well. And, you know, in her, well, she's 77. I, so I, I'm, I'm thinking, and I don't know the third, but I'm thinking, you know, if I'm Tom Barrett and I'm dealing with the problems, the crime problems and the dysfunction problems that the city of Milwaukee has, I'm going to go out of my way to find at least some people that you might be able to describe as law and order candidates to put them on, on the Fire and Police Commission to help straighten the Fire and Police Commission out. I don't know anything about the third person, so I won't offer comments there. But if you were looking for, at least in my opinion, law and order candidates for the Fire and Police Commission, um, that, that's that's not what, what Barrett has. If you're looking for people that are heavily connected to the Democratic establishment in the city of Milwaukee, yeah, that's Joan Kessler. Her husband was Fred is is Fred Kessler, who was the longtime uber liberal state representative and a, a circuit judge for a while. I mean, yes, the, these are this is the, the Kesslers are like Democratic Party liberal royalty. Okay, I, in Milwaukee, I, I get it, but I don't know. Is that is that really what we want? Ed Fallone, the same thing. He was embraced by. You know, the, the liberals and, and the Milwaukee left when he was trying to run for Supreme Court. And is, is that is that what we're looking for? Or maybe some, I don't know, maybe some law and order experience, maybe people with some law enforcement experience and things like that that doesn't. Now, Joan Kessler, like I said, she was the U.S. attorney under Jimmy Carter. But that 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 takes you back to 1979. I just I swear I don't understand some of the things that are going on in the city of Milwaukee when we come back. All right, it's going to be a fun conversation, I promise. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, if you're a fan of Snuggies, I've got some good news for you. You know, Snuggies, the the sort of like one size giant blanket that you put your feet into and and things like that, kind of like a a onesie for, for adults. Well, there has been a shortage of Snuggies. Because remember back in March, there was that ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal. And remember, it was the huge salvage efforts. It, it kind of ran aground and it blocked the Suez Canal and it was stuck. And it, it took about the better part of a week for them to move it. And but. For, for that week, you had everything that was shut down, all these different you know, tanker trucks, tanker ships and stuff that were going through the canal. They, they were blocked, and it created a, a huge loss. I mean, they estimate that the, the loss in the delays and things like that might have cost up to a, B, a billion, that is, B as in billion dollars. Um, but so what happened is there, there's all sorts of stuff on this particular tanker truck. It was called the uh, the container ship was called the Ever Given. That was the name of it. But one of the things that was on that was like a million dollars or more worth of Snuggies. And so what happened is after they cleared the canal, the the government 
essentially seized the the boat. Now that that could be an, an Egypt. It could be an overstatement to say seized, but they haven't been letting the boat go. <clears throat> the boat's been stuck there because the, the way the law works is that when you block the canal like that, the the ship's owners are responsible for for damages. Now, this is in general covered within insurance, but this has been in March. So everything that's on that boat has not moved, including all these Snuggies and things like that. So there's been a shortage of Snuggies because they're they're all stuck on this boat. So the, the good news, I guess, especially for Snuggies fans, but for everybody else is earlier this week, apparently the Egyptian government and the insurers for that the the container ship reached a settlement. I don't know how much they're going to end up paying, but they, they are going to be they're, they're going to be paying out. And what's going to happen is the the boat is going to be allowed to continue on its way and deliver its cargo. So if you were planning on buying one of those snuggies for this fall, they probably will be back in stores. All right, let us switch gears. Something completely and totally different. Uh, we, we talk from time to time about cars, and I'm not into cars. Like like you might be. I, I know there's people just just absolutely just have this ongoing love affair with automobiles. For me, I, I want something that's going to be reliable transportation. I, I'm not going to want to have to worry about whether the car is going to stop, start, or things like that. And and I mean, I, I like cars that are that are comfortable. As I've grown older, or I like the different bells and whistles and things like that. But when I first, I mean, I remember the first two cars I drove. Were, were cars that I were when I got my driver's license when I was 16. My parents kind of kicked down like one of the family sedans to me. The first car I drove was a 1968 Buick LeSabre. You know, and it was just, it was, I, I, I liked the car a lot, but it had one of those big old engines, had a V8 engine in it. The second car I drove, they gave it to me to take to college. I don't even know where my father got this vehicle. I used to call it the land yacht. It was a, um, Chrysler Newport, and I'm telling you, this, the, it, look, it, it was not the kind of car that you drive around and you cruise Highway 100 with, okay? But it was it was great transportation, and you could put a bunch of people in it, and it had one of those giant V8 engines that, that were, were in it, and, and those giant VH, V8 engines, those, those were standard on a lot of the sedans if you, you know, came of age in, in the 70s and things like that. Well, as time went on, those those V8, those big engines, they, they just started disappearing. Now, I understand that there's some vehicles you might still be able to find them in, but not many. And what happened is the big choices that people had were, okay, do you want the V8 or we have the V6 engines? And you had lots and lots of cars. I mean, I remember the first couple of SUVs that I ended up buying, they, they had V6 engines in them. Well, all right, V6 engines, the, the six-cylinder engines on their way out – in most cars, looking at a story now, um, the, the bottom line is four-cylinder engines, which not that long ago used to be, oh, this is this incredibly underpowered. Who would buy a four-cylinder engine? You, you can't. It's not going to power your, your SUV or anything like that. That's the type of stuff that you're looking for in a really, really small car. Well, now, with a limited number of exceptions, you can't find. You can't find a car with a V6 engine. If you're looking for a V6 engine, you are, as a general rule, talking about a very, very expensive luxury 
car. You can find them on Mercedes-Benzes. You can find them on, on Audis. You can find them on some of the Genesis things. And, and, and yes, you, you can find, I guess, Honda Odyssey, you can buy it as, uh, you, but, but in general, the, the six-cylinder engines have now gone the ways of the, the V8 engines. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. They've really been replaced. Like, for example, cars I drive, they have these turbocharged, you know, four-cylinder engines, and they've got just a, a ton of pickup in them. I was reading this thing talking about all these people lamenting the demise of the V6 engines. I don't know. I, I, I don't. The cars I drive have four-cylinder engines, and they've got plenty of pickup. Um, how about you? Do you miss the V6s? Would you like that option to come back? Now, it's probably not going to, because keep in mind, you know, we've got the government that's trying to push us away from the internal combustion engine. But th- those old big engine cars, do you miss them, or is is it fine? Has this been an example where if you've got that turbocharged four-cylinder, you can you can do just as much as you could with the V6s or the V8s? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When you're going shopping for a car, are you still actively looking for the V6? Because that used to be the big thing. used to be, I don't want a four-cylinder car. Give me, give me one with the V6. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Having a little bit of fun. There's a couple stories out about how if you – look, when, when a lot of us first started driving, the, the big the, – almost every car had a V8 engine. Well, now good luck trying to find a V8. Then they switched to V6 engines. Now, unless you're – with a couple exceptions, unless you're going to drop a ton of money on, uh, like, say, a high-end luxury car, you can't even find these V6 engines anymore. You, you've got the V, you've got the four-cylinder engines, and they're, they're turbocharged and all. All right, do you miss the V6? 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, Bill in West Bend. Bill, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me on. Sure. Um, I uh, drive a ton for work, and I have uh, I have a six cylinder, and I can't tell you. I, I and I've had fours fours when I was kid when I was a kid because they were so cheap, and you, you could you could get them anywhere. You could get a little Honda, and 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 they don't last. They just they just don't last. I mean, you could only get. I've got a I've got a six cylinder and I've got 180 thousand miles on it. it. It runs perfect, and I'll never forget driving somewhere when you're in a four cylinder and you, t- you turn the air conditioner on and you could just feel the power now go down completely. Right. I mean, it's just like you go from 60 miles an hour to 55 just because you turn the air conditioner on. Right. I mean, I I I don't know what they're thinking. I mean. You know, I, I see these huge SUVs on the freeway. I mean, those guys got to be they've, they've got to be eights in there, I would think. I don't know. You I mean, know? I, I, so. I think you got I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I just I, I'm, I'm looking at uh, uh, U.S. News's list of you, you got to work to find the, these V6 engines. I mean, then 2021, the Audi A6. Let's see, the Audi A6 All-Road, $66,000 list price. The Tonda Ridgeline, that's thirty-seven. That comes with a V6. Um, the Ford Expedition, 
Um, with the V8, that's $49,000. The Genesis G80, that's $59,000. The Mercedes-Benz, $91,000, a little bit out of mind. The Lexus LC500, that's $97,000. The Porsche uh, Porsche for eighty-seven grand. Lincoln Navigator, well, seventy-six thousand dollars. Let's buy two of those. Genesis uh, G90, seventy-two nine. Honda Odyssey, you can get that thirty-two thousand. So that that's the the cheapest one. Audi A7, sixty-nine grand. Genesis G70, forty-six two. Um, you can get the Ford one fifty pickup truck with a V6. That's twenty-eight nine. Um, so that's. You know, there are a couple affordable ones out there, but in general, no. Let's talk to uh, Jim in South Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jim. I'm blessed. I have an older car with a V8 and it's a Cadillac XLR. Okay. It's basically a Corvette chassis with a Cadillac body on it. (laughs) It goes. My, My wife thinks it's childish, but when I put the pedal to the metal, it puts your head back. It, it takes it's, off, huh? It's, a, it's in my DNA. I got to do it. Um, yeah, well, it's, you know, it, it's it's. I mean, thanks. It's, it's interesting because things have in in fact changed. I mean, I, I can again. I remember. Oh gosh, my my first SUV. And this is going back to the eighties. Was a Ford Explorer, and it, back then the the. The Ford Explorer was a little bit smaller, and then they started making the Explorer bigger and bigger, and then I went to an Escape, and then I went to the Honda stuff. But I, I will tell you, I mean, the, the cars I drive now are are turbocharged four-cylinder engines, and and I think maybe it's the technology that they have nowadays, but I think they've got... I think, you know, some of the current four-cylinder turbocharged engines, I, I think they have as much power, certainly, as the old V6s, or, or maybe even as, as the old V8s. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, full-size trucks can come with a turbo four-cylinder. I think that's going to be as powerful as the small V8. Jeff, last year, I had to buy a new vehicle. I ended up buying a, a 2020 Chevy Silverado. Um, they stood on their head to try to not get me to buy an eight-cylinder um, and sold. They ended up selling me on a four-cylinder turbocharged. It gets 24 miles to the gallon. It's completely awesome. Um, no, no regrets on my part at all. Jeff, I miss my V6. I noticed a big difference when I changed to my new four-cylinder car, especially when it comes to accelerating and air conditioning. Um, yeah, which I think is what the, the last caller was referencing. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, if I could find a small V6 SUV, I would buy it in an instant. Try towing a 3,500-pound boat or trailer with a four-cylinder turbo. The turbo would be running continuously, um, fuel consumption, etc. In most cases, to require they require the high-priced premium gas. I'll keep my 2020 Ford Escape until it ends up dying. It is just interesting to me that things have, have changed. Jeff, I miss the V8s. I really miss the V8s. Jeff, even the new 2020 truck, 2022 trucks are four-cylinder turbocharged. The EPA has really made it hard for manufacturers to use those larger engines. They did a great job of removing a lot of the older vehicles by sponsoring the Cash for Clunkers program. Even if you have one of those cars, it's getting harder and more expensive for parts. The government always ends up getting its way. There's a where I really there's a story about this in USA Today, but there's also a story um, 
you know, in, on U.S. news. And it, it's interesting, the USA Today one, it, it's, you know, it, it's quoting some people. For example, they, they quote a guy in Oklahoma City who's a valet, so he drives cars all day. He says the V6s are definitely more fun. They've got a little more power and they sound a little bit better on the exhaust. But he said, you know, we're, we're seeing fewer and fewer of them. Um, they quote somebody in Canada who owns a Chrysler 300 large car with a six-cylinder engine. He's really bummed out. He says, I don't like the compact cars. I don't like the four cylinders. I've had four cylinders. There's just nothing to it. You see, I, I might have felt that way 15 or 20 years ago. I guess I don't feel that way now. Let's talk to Rick in Muskego. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Joe. Hi, Rick. Um, I love I'm a car. I'm a car guy. I like. I, I've always liked cars. Um, I've always been a performance, loving performance. Um, I've got a. I own a uh, like a 2007 Mustang GT. I own Audis. I've got. I've got all different types of cars. You are a the car new, guy. The new engine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the the new engines are very powerful. I mean, a, a few years ago, I owned a um, a little Ford Focus ST, which is their high performance little car. That car had just just south of 300 horsepower in a car that was about 2,500 pounds. Um, that, that car was actually faster than my Mustang GT. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for, for things. So you can get just as much performance out of the little four-cylinders. My, my only concern on the four-cylinders and the, with the turbocharging and everything is, you know, what's their longevity? Right. I mean, what, you, yeah. you have a V8 that, you know, how, that, I, that I'm confident will last, you know, north of, you know, 150,000 miles. A supercharged or turbocharged engine, where it's just—it's really being worked right. hard. You know, what is the longevity on that? Right, and how is it going to play out? No, and thanks to call, Rick. I, I think that's a fair question. That kind of goes to one of my latest pet peeves that I've aired on this program once or twice, which is now to, to try to save just a tad of, of gas mileage for the EPA. You know, all these new cars, you now have that auto engine idle stop feature. They call it different things, but it's the one where your car. You, it idles for two seconds like at a red light, and then it shuts off. And then it, it turns back on when you lift the gas, the, the, your pedal off the gas, your foot off the ga- off the brake. Um, I hate it. And in the car I have, you can at least disable it. You can punch the button, but you have to do it every time you start the car. That The default position is this thing is on. And it, it's the same sort of thing. For just a, a teaspoonful of gas savings, you, you get the annoyance of the car stopping every time that you're at a red light or every time you're in heavy traffic. And on top of that, it, it's, I, what, what is it doing to the starter? What is it doing to the battery? What is it doing to everything that, I mean, I, I check this out. To drive to my house to work, I, I start the car once. Well, if I leave that auto idle stop feature on, the car stops and starts probably about a dozen times. You know, and I'm, I just keep thinking, okay, well, a dozen times a day times five days a week, that's 60, you know, more, more stops and starts. Not to, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not driving in heavy traffic. I, I have the same sort of question. What is the longevity going to be on that? And I think it's fair with the four cylinders. Bob in Cedarburg. Hi, Bob. You're on WTMJ. Hi. How are you? Good. What do you think? You miss those old V8s? Well, I miss the power of the V8. I just sold my Mustang GT 5-liter, uh, 87, and it had the high-output engine. And mm-hmm. I I was hesitant to buy a four-cylinder, period. And then my wife wanted a smaller SUV, so I went with the Outback. It had a 4.5-liter right. um, turbo 
And I'm amazed. If I <laughs> really <laughs> slam on the gas, that, that, that gets up to 70 before I get <laughs> onto the freeway. Yeah, it, no, thanks. I mean, they, they definitely, there's, there's no question. They, these, the, the, the things take off. I, um, oh gosh, my, my late wife, her last car, she, she wanted a VW Beetle. And the the VW the VWs they they have the same it's a four cylinder turbocharged engine and I it, it the same engine I think that goes into their SUV um, who's well, I forget what they call that right now also goes into like the VW Beetle I'm telling you that thing could fly you really I I would drive we I ended up selling it because it just didn't need the car but I but it was that was one where I really had to watch myself when I was driving that car because all of a sudden you look and go oh my gosh I'm going 85 miles an hour dial this whole thing back. So it's it's one of these things that's you know there used to be the V8s. I just I'm fascinated with how stuff changed. Used to be the V8s, then there was the V6s. You can still find them, but chances are you're going to pay extra for them as we get pushed towards the four cylinder things. And of course, I know there's a lot of you out there who just simply a lot of a lot of you you might think that hey what are they talking about these internal combustion engine cars? Electric is the way to go. I'm not sold on electric yet, but you know maybe. Maybe 10, 15 years from now, that'll be where the choice is. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, a quick couple quick programming notes. Um, first of all, tomorrow, big day, big sports day, of course. You've got um, in the evening, you've got the Bucks. That are trying to, you know, win a game against Atlanta. I, I still continue to believe, what do I know? But I continue to believe that they're the better team and that the better team, you know, when you're playing a seven game series, the better team tends to win. That having been said, if I'm the Bucks coaching staff, I'm trying to figure out how you stop this guy from going off from 48 points and dribbling around all your players like they're statues. So, I mean, they, they've got some work to do, but I continue, I'm not panicking. I continue to believe that they're the better team and, you know, can any team win in one game? Yes, that's that's what actually makes the NCAA men's basketball and women's basketball tournament so interesting that, you know, on any given day, anybody can beat anybody. I, I think the Bucks will get their act together. But, you know, I, I think it is fair to say that uh, Friday night's kind of a must-win game for them. But before that, big sports day on WTMJ because it is grand reopening day at American Family Field. Fans are back at American Family Field. Um, tomorrow, we're going to have special broadcasts. Join us all day from live for live coverage from the ballpark. I'm going to be on starting at 8.30. Uh, so I'm going to be doing the 8.30 to noon shift, and we'll do some of the regular programming. But we're also, we've got some special guests. Brandon Woodruff, the star pitcher for the Brewers, is going to be joining me. New second baseman Colton Wong is going to be joining me. Brett Suter is going to be joining me. So I'll be there from noon, from 8.30 until noon. And then John McCure is going to come in with a special early edition of Wisconsin's Afternoon News, taking you up to 2.30. And then it, it's Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre calling the Brewers in the Rockies game. It's grand. It's the reopening day. It's sponsored by Outdoor Living Unlimited, Gruber Law Offices, and Holiday Automotive. Looking forward to getting there. And like I say, we, I'll be on site from our mobile broadcast facility. So join me at 8.30. It'll be a great sports day. We're going to have a lot of fun. And um, one of the cool things about this reopening day is a lot of times 
you know, when, when the season starts in late March or early April, you don't know what the team's going to look like. Well, I mean, the Brewers are in first place, right? Brewers are in first place, and, you know, we, we know that this is a very competitive team. They've had a lot of injuries, and they're still doing pretty well. Hopefully, once they get some players back, they'll do even better. But it's exciting. It's great to be back. It's great to have baseball back, and join us for reopening day tomorrow. All right, stick around. John Mercure has a very special edition of Wisconsin's Afternoon News coming up in just a couple minutes. Um, I'm going to take a break, and then when we come back, we'll find out what John has on his mind for the show this afternoon. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.